Good morning. Welcome to Mission View Church. My name is Matt. Um, if you're new here, if this is your first time joining for worship, we're so glad you're here this morning. Uh, we've been in our Advent sermon series, and we've been looking at miraculous births. We looked at the birth of Samson. Do you guys remember Samson, the, Samson, the strong guy with the long hair? You remember the story from Sunday school? And um, we studied his story just a little bit, his miraculous birth. He was a Nazarite, which means his entire life was dedicated to the Lord. And then we moved to 1 Samuel, and we, we looked at the miraculous birth of Samuel. And um, it just so happens to be that he was a Nazarite as well, that his life was going to be set aside to serve the Lord. And today we're going to be looking at the birth, the miraculous birth of John the Baptist, who, by the way, was a Nazarite as well. His entire life was going to be set aside in service to the Lord. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 1. And I have a ton to work through this morning. I have 80 verses to share with you today. So we're just going to, you know, the 1045, they're going to show up and just come right in. And we'll just continue right on. Um, As I was really praying through how we would go through the birth of John the Baptist, you cannot share the story of John the Baptist without sharing the story of Jesus Christ. You see, John the Baptist was sent to be a forerunner of Jesus. And his story is so entwined with Jesus' story, we can't not share a part of his story as well. And Luke knew that. As he wrote um, his account of the life of Christ, what we're going to find is that he talks about the birth of John the Baptist, and then he goes right to um, the birth of Jesus Christ. It's all in one story as we're looking through this. And, And I couldn't just share with you like 27 verses. I, of this, this story. It's so powerful. There's, I mean, this is, an, this is epic in and of itself. Just this first chapter of Luke. We've got angel visitations. We have prophecies coming. We have a guy being um, made mute be, by an angel because he didn't believe what was told um, to him by this angel from the Lord. We have these um, miraculous births foretold, and then we have the miraculous birth of John the Baptist. I mean, this story is awesome. It would make like a great miniseries on Netflix. We would all just, you know, be a great binge on Netflix on a weekend. But I'm so excited to share with you uh, this story, this account, this true story of the miraculous birth of John the Baptist and the prophetic foretelling of the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, I'm so thankful that we celebrate communion here once a month at Mission View Church. It's that time to remember the cross, the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And as we were taking communion this morning, I couldn't help but think there wouldn't be a cross if it were not for the manger. That Jesus left heaven and put on flesh and came in the humility of a baby, helpless, helpless, fully dependent on his parents. I mean, just... Can you imagine? The creator of the universe. I mean, spoke it into existence, and life is created and sustained by Jesus. And he came as a baby. The creator of the universe. A baby in a manger. It's just mind-blowing to me. You know, every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday, but it's this time of year that we set aside to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. Let's not forget the reason for the season, right? These gifts that we, 
that we prepare to give to our family members and friends, this celebration of generosity and all of the trees and all of the lights and the festivities that we have, the busyness of our lives in this time of year, man, we cannot forget the reason for the season. And that reason is the Messiah came. Jesus walked the earth and he did something no one else could do. He made a way for us to be made right in God's eyes, to have a relationship with our creator. Just amazing thing that Jesus has done for us. Let's pray before we read God's word this morning. Dearly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these accounts in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that give us so many different perspectives of who Jesus is, what he did, why he did it. And as we look into the Gospel account according to Luke, Father, we pray that you would soften our hearts to the truth of your word, that you would change us by your power and your glory and your spirit that lives within us. Illuminate the truth of your word, God. That we would walk out of here different people than we walked in because we've met with you, our creator, and you have done what only you can do in our lives. You have changed us. You are growing us. You are God in our midst. You are Emmanuel, God with us. Father, we give you all glory and honor and praise. We humble ourselves before you. God, use me for your kingdom. Give me the words to share that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, has everybody had their coffee? You ready for this 80 verses? If you haven't had coffee, raise your hands. We have it on tap. No, I'm just kidding. I'm going to bring it in right to your seats. All right, stick with me here. This is going to be an awesome story. Luke starts out with this, this amazing statement. And as much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent the- Theophilus that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. You see, Luke wants Theophilus to know, to have certainty about what he has heard. You are getting the facts from a trusted friend. Luke, the physician, a doctor by trade, he's, he's writing down these accounts in great detail so that this close friend of his, now we don't know who Theophilus was, but um, these close friend, this trusted friend of Luke's, he wanted this guy to know, to know that he knew the, the facts of the matter in regards to this Messiah, Jesus Christ. And it goes on in verse 5, In the days of Herod, king of Judah, Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Now bloodlines matter in Scripture. Bloodlines matter because the prophecies and promises God had made over the centuries had to be fulfilled specifically. And bloodlines mattered in those prophecies and promises that God made. Zechariah was the tribe of Levi and Elizabeth, one of the daughters of Aaron. It's important that Luke's pointing this out. The doctor here is pointing this out. Verse 6, And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. Does that sound familiar? Our stories as we've gone through this Advent season, these miraculous births. Here is another one, another woman, Elizabeth Barron. 
and both were advanced in years. They were both past the age of having children. Most historians think that at the birth of John the Baptist, Zechariah was 92 years old. Elizabeth, 88 years old. Miraculous. Pretty crazy. Could you imagine your grandmother or great-grandmother having a baby? Grandma, Grandma, if you're watching this, just think about that. Right? She's, she's in Texas, Austin, Texas right now going, Oh, Lord. Right? Could you imagine this? All, you, you, you go around telling, My grandma just had a baby. No, we don't hear that. This miraculous birth. They were, let's say they were seasoned saints. That's what we call them here at Mission View. Seasoned saints. Verse 8, now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, this is really important. I'm going to stop here just for a second. There's 24 different divisions of priests, a thousand, nearly a thousand priests in each division. They would own, these divisions would only serve for two weeks out of the year. And only um, one of those priests would be chosen out of the thousand that were serving for the two weeks to go and do the priestly duties here. 24,000 priests... A thousand priests serving in this two-week window, only one of which would be at the service in the temple doing this incense work that he was required to do. The chances, what are the chances of Zechariah, one in 24,000, they would only serve one every two years. I don't, I'm not a mathematician, but do the math. This is like winning the lottery here. That Zechariah would be in this place at this moment, at this time, for God's purposes. God God works His will and His way and His providence. We see this miraculously that Zechariah, a Levite, wife Elizabeth in the line of Aaron, a daughter of Aaron, just happens to be in the temple doing uh, His work. And this is what happens. According to the custom of the priesthood, He was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to Him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw Him and, he, and, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. He's probably 91 at this time. Could you imagine hearing that? 91 years old. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go before him. Who is this? He will go before who? Jesus in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. John was a forerunner to the Messiah. He's preparing the way and, and, and rightly so. He is going before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's going before us, make way for the king. Do you, you see in, in old times, as kings would come and enter a, a city or place, they would have these forerunners that would go before them, make way for the king, make way for the king. They would declare his majesty to everyone who was around, make way for this king. This is John the Baptist. This is what he was preparing. This is what he was called to do. And Zechariah, in verse 18, and Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? I'm going to give you my 
translation of this, what in the world are you talking about? I'm 91 years old. Elizabeth's 87. What in the world is happening here? And he says, for I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. She must have been standing close by because he says it very nicely. No, I'm just kidding. She was not there. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. Okay. He says, this is a powerful statement. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. No humans standing in the presence of God. This, this is a declarative, authoritative statement. I come in the authority of Almighty God. This is a rebuttal to Zechariah's response. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled. I don't blame Zechariah, man. Let's not give him a hard time. How will I know this? How can this happen? I'm old. This is impossible. Now, many people ask questions, but God knows the heart behind our questions. I mean, later on, we can see Mary asks a question when the angel comes to her, but she's not mute until her baby's born. God knows the heart behind our questions. I think it's okay to have questions. I think it's great to have questions, but we have to check our hearts before we ask these questions. And the people were waiting for Zechariah. They were all out there waiting for him to come out of the Holy of Holies. And they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived... And for five months, she kept herself hidden. She probably wore a veil, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Go ahead and underline that phrase. Her statement that Elizabeth makes here is so important. We'll look into that in just a few minutes. So here we have the birth of John the Baptist. It's around that same time, or about six months later, Mary, the soon-to-be mother of Jesus, gets a visit from an angel as well. Let's look into that. Verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. There it is, that bloodline again, right? God protecting this bloodline and using this bloodline as he promised and as was prophesied. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what, was, what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Forever. Not just a lifetime, not just a set amount of time, but forever. King of kings and Lord of lords forever. And his kingdom 
And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. The virgin birth here. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country. She had just heard that her cousin Elizabeth, you know, and later in life is pregnant. So she's heading out there right away. I'm wondering too, if Mary's going to her saying, Hey man, what was your experience like? Like I had this angel come to me. This is crazy. I mean, is this true? Maybe she's confirming what the angel had told her. All of these things going on in her mind. This, this can't be happening. Is this true? I'm going to, I'm going to have a baby, the son of God, virgin. This is amazing. I'm going to go check this out. I have to go talk to Elizabeth. Is this real? You know, and, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, get this, the baby leapt in her womb. The baby leapt in her womb. Mary's going to see her and, 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 and Elizabeth hears this greeting. Mary's at the door. What happens? The baby leapt in her womb. That fetus leapt in her womb. That clump of cells leapt in her womb. When does life begin? When is one able to respond to the Lord and the Holy Spirit? So many questions we have today. The baby, alive, life, responds by the Holy Spirit to the presence of the Messiah. Life begins at conception. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And here we go on to Mary's song of praise or the Magnificat. This is amazing too. I love this. Now, if you remember last week we studied in 1 Samuel, the miraculous birth of Samuel. We didn't get into chapter 2 of 1 Samuel. But I would encourage you this week to go back and read uh, Hannah's prayer, Hannah's song that she has there. It's this beautiful, beautiful praise to the Lord. And it, it just goes right along with Mary's Magnificat here. Mary's song. Just read the two together and see this praise and worship to the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy in his name. 
is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. This is Mary's worship to the Lord. And Mary remained with her, remained with Elizabeth about three months and returned to her home. Now we have the birth of John the Baptist. Verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. This was the tradition. This is what would have been expected to to be done. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, (laughs) because Zechariah was mute at this time, inquiring what he wanted to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered, what is this? Why? Why are they changing this tradition? What's going on here? And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all all the neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. This was known all throughout Judea and all throughout the hillside. Everybody heard about this. Everybody knew that Zechariah, this priest, had a vision, was made mute, experienced all this. And now his wife of 88 years old had this miraculous birth. She was barren and had this miraculous birth. Man, everybody was talking about it. And here we have Zechariah's prophecy. What Zechariah says after he's been mute for nine months. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. There's so much good stuff in here. That we would serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. How are we going to be holy? How are we going to be righteous before the Lord? What is he talking about? He's talking about the Messiah, Jesus the only one who could make us righteous, could impute his righteousness, his holiness on us. This is the prophecy Zechariah is getting at. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. He's talking about John the Baptist. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. You will go before Jesus, the Messiah, to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins 
because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us on high. The sunrise, another name for Jesus, right? The sunrise. Who here loves a beautiful sunrise? I run early in the mornings, and on my way back, I'm coming to the sunrise and seeing the sunrise. Man, I love a sunset too, don't get me wrong. But man, the sunrise in the morning, especially when I'm like, you know, on the way home, I'm usually not looking that good. Randy sees me every once in a while, look like death on the legs, you know. Three miles in, you think you're just about to die. I turn that last corner and see the sunrise. Sometimes it's purple. It's like blue. Sometimes it's like fiery orange. It just looks like the, the, it's on fire and it goes into this brilliant yellow. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's inspiring. That's why my last mile is always my fastest mile, I think. It's just inspiring. Sunrise. I just love that picture that he gives us. Where was I? Sorry. What verse was I in? I just got distracted by the sunrise. Somebody give me the verse. 78, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Hey, we did it. 80 verses. Good job. Nobody's asleep either. This is great. Good job. The first thing I, I want to kind of, I want us to really think about and, and try and digest in this, and it's the first fill in in your notes, is this. God uses ordinary people to show His extraordinary grace. God uses ordinary people to, to show His extraordinary grace. Zechariah here, Elizabeth here, Mary here are all ordinary people. Ordinary people. And in fact, I would even say that Zechariah and Elizabeth, um, Elizabeth being barren, we have to take into account what that meant in Bible times. A, a woman who was barren, this, this was grounds for divorce back then. I mean, they were, they were looked upon in society as less than. If you, if you could not bear children for your son, especially a, a, a male-born baby for your son, you were disregarded. You, you were looked at as, as cursed by God. I mean, Elizabeth had lived with this her entire life. We talked about this last week even. This was something that the society of the day would have looked down on her. Well, she even says it in the passage, right? She says, God has looked at this. He has seen the reproach among my people. She had lived in reproach among her people. God uses ordinary people, less than ordinary people, People that live in reproach in society, in the culture of the day, to show His extravagant grace. He lavishes His love upon ordinary people. Why did God choose them? Zechariah? I guess we could make a case for Zechariah. He's a priest. He's a, you know, serving the Lord. Elizabeth, I mean, Elizabeth is a hard one, though. I mean, you would think... You know, if you're, if you're picking your star players, you know, you're, you're, you know, this is the guy, you're the forerunner, this parents to the forerunner of Jesus. I mean, you want the all-stars, right? You don't, you don't go picking off the bench. 
seats. You, you want the all-stars on your team. Why did God choose them? It's his prerogative. God does what he wants to do the way he wants to do them because he's God. And it would just make sense for us, right? If he were to pick the all-star. I mean, the guy that everybody looked up to, I'm sure out of those 24,000 priests, you know, I mean, Lot was important. He's the guy who chose the people. Maybe it was him, you know, he's the big name, you know, who's, who's most famous of all priests and whose wife was most, you know, holy, you know, let's pick them. But God didn't. You know, sometimes I, I think God chooses the lowly to show the world who he is. That it's not about these great men and women of God. But it's about this phenomenal, mind-blowing, gracious, and merciful, and loving God who uses even the lowliest of what we view. Isn't that good news? He uses the lowly. He does what he does. They were ordinary Jewish people following the Lord, and God chose them. The reality is that all of us are chosen to be used by God to bring Jesus to the world. If you've given your life to Christ, you were chosen. This this declaration that the Messiah has come, this declaration that Jesus has come to make a way for those who are broken, those who are hurting, those who have a void in their lives, this, this emptiness in their hearts that they are seeking fulfillment to, that they're seeking for hope and destiny and, and all of these things that we are called as his people to share the truth and the hope of Jesus Christ. Every one of us has the opportunity to share the truth of the gospel with the people God has brought into our lives We like to call this like the circle of our responsibility, right? It's the the people that God has brought into your lives. You're not neighbors with your neighbors by accident. Your coworkers that you work with, it's not just by happenstance that they're brought into your life. God has purpose and reason behind every relationship that you have in your life. And here's his purpose and reason. Anybody want to know what God's purpose and reason is? That he would be glorified. That he would be glorified. That we would share the love and the grace and the mercy that we have received from God through Jesus and by the power of his spirit with everyone around us. That's our destiny. To glorify the Lord with everything that we do, with everything that we say and share the gospel, the good news. And there's so many ways that we can share that good news. Showing kindness, generosity, inviting them to church, especially around Christmas time. This is the greatest. This is Easter and Christmas. I call it like the Super Bowl and World Series of church. It's, it's that one. Those are, it's those two times of year that you can go over to your neighbor's house and say, Hey, I don't know what you're doing Christmas Eve, but hey, our church gets together and um, we're going to be having a special service. We'd love to invite you. We have, there's this little postcard. Don't know what you're doing, but we'd love to have you as our guests. If you want to carpool or just meet us there, we'd just love to, to meet you there. And your, your neighbor may be an atheist. They, they may have sworn off all those things, or they, they may never have attended church before, never even thought about it. But Christmas time comes along, and people are just like, I guess we should go to church. Have you heard this, the term creaster? Anybody? Creaster? 
Okay, a couple of us. Okay, it's a church term for people who attend church at Christmas and Easter. They're creasters. <laughs> right? They, they come those, those two services. But this is a phenomenal opportunity for us. Let's not miss this opportunity to invite and bring those people within our circle of responsibility, inviting them to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Mission View, we are sitting on the most powerful and life-changing supernatural revelation to all of humanity that Jesus came and made a way for us. Every person on earth needs to hear that truth. We have it. You have the hope of the gospel. You have the power of the Spirit. You have the truth of the Almighty God in you, in your life. And everyone who has relationship with Jesus, their life has been changed by the power of God. And it's that change, that miracle that God has worked, that He calls us to share. Don't sit on it. Don't just not tell anybody. This is one of our greatest opportunities in this Western world that we live in. It's just, this is mind-boggling to me. You look at human history, all of human history. We live in one of the most profound moments in human history for the church, for the people of God in America. To have the freedoms that we have, to meet even today, and me say these things to you today, a lot of countries around the world don't have this opportunity. And you can just go to your neighbor's house. Hey, we're going to be celebrating Christmas. And they're like, that's great. You know, I'll show up for that. (laughs) It's just mind-boggling to me, the opportunity that we have. Let's not blow it. Let's not waste this opportunity to reach those who don't know Christ yet. I call them pre-Christians, our pre-Christian neighbors. Let's not miss this opportunity. All right, the second thing. Let's jump to the second one. The world needs Jesus, and we are the ones who can introduce them. And the second filling notes is that John the Baptist was sent to prepare the way for Jesus. In the same way, we prepare the way for Jesus with those in our circles of responsibility. We may not recognize it. You know, it's in those brief conversations. It's in that kindness that you share to the, the family member or coworker or neighbor that you disagree with. It's in that kind conversation. It's that, that just, just a touch. Just, just a touch. Did you know they, they've done studies that it takes 10 to 15 just brief touches of kindness or generosity or, or just kind conversation directed towards Christ before someone will even consider coming to a church. We have that opportunity to, to make a way for Jesus, just like John the Baptist was sent to do. John was proclaiming the message that the Messiah was coming. Now, all of this miraculous stuff that we just read around John's birth, the angels coming to them, them being too, too old to have a child, Zechariah losing his ability to speak, all the people seeing and witnessing uh, all these things as Zechariah and Elizabeth were well-known in their community... I mean, what, what, I mean, what would you have done if you, you were witnessing this, all of Judea, even the hill country far from where they were, here of this 88-year-old lady having a baby? They were saying, who is this John going to be? That's what they said. What is he going to do? 
We might even say, why did God send, why did God send John before Jesus? Why does Jesus need John? Of John the Baptist, Luke 1.16 says, Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. Now, wait a minute. Weren't these, these Israelites, weren't, weren't these God's people living in a, their whole society revolved around God? I mean, everything, their entire lives were revolved around God. They had all of these practices that they did, all of these celebrations they did all year round. Their entire calendar was built around God. These were the Israelites. They had all of these, these liturgies and practices and traditions that they did. Weren't they, weren't they constantly? They, didn't they have rabbis that constantly reminded them to keep God's commandments? Didn't they celebrate Passover and do all the things they were supposed to do to remind them of God's goodness, of God's power, of His presence in their lives? If we look at the state of God's people at the time, we would see a people who had a religion of rituals, not a religion of relationship. A religion of rituals, not a religion of relationship. John was preparing them for relationship with Emmanuel. God with us. God in us. God beside us. God around us. His spirit in us. Jesus in the flesh, actually, as he was coming. John's coming to prepare God's people was prophesied about in the Old Testament even. In Isaiah 40, it says, A voice is calling. Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. And let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all the flesh will see it together for the mouth of the Lord God has spoken. And in Malachi 2... Behold, I am, this is Malachi 3, Behold, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. This is Jesus prophesying John's birth. Malachi 3 verse 1. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Jesus came to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Hundreds of years. Before Jesus comes, this is said about John the Baptist, about Jesus' coming. John the Baptist's arrival was a prophecy being fulfilled. And this prophecy, one thing I wanted to point out to us about John the Baptist is that he was a wild man. I mean, when you think about a, a forerunner or somebody preparing the way, and we read about the life of John the Baptist, this dude was crazy. I mean, he was like that wild, crazy uncle that you don't invite to the family gatherings. There's no getting around it. I'm telling you. John lived in the desert desert as a Nazarene. He's famous for eating locusts and honey. Does anybody love locusts and honey? That's just, you know, that's what we do for breakfast. Woohoo! No. Lo- gross. That's gross. You know, he lived in the wilderness until Jesus came. He spent his entire life in the wilderness. Do we have any wilderness guys here? You, you were one of those guys, like on TV, Survive, or whatever that's called, Alone, whatever that show's called, right? You have, you have your, your little Bowie knife, and, and you, could, you could survive out there in the wilderness. On the, the helicopter drops you off the middle of Alaska, and you're just like, yeah, bring it on, right? Have you watched those shows? Have you seen those shows? People lose like 80 pounds 
They're all skin and bone. None of them make it. You know, they're all out there. They're like the survivalists. They have had done it all. They were ex-Marines or ex-SEALs or ex-Special Forces. They know how to do all this stuff. I mean, they spend their time building their, you know, roofs over their heads and different things. And it's, you know, makeshift shelters and all these different things. They make fishing line and they try and fish and everything else. And they look all skin and bone. They're you know, the ones you think are going to make it, you know, the, the ex-Navy SEALs like, <laughs> I miss my wife and I need to call my kids. And, and you're just like, are you kidding me? I picked you, <laughs> you know. I, I had my money on you. You're the one that were, was going to make it. That's never that one. It's never the one that you think is going to make it. His entire life, he's like 33 years old. What is it? It's, uh, he's probably 30 years 30 years old, 20, 25 to 30 years old, he comes out of the wilderness looking like one of these guys off of alone. Just, and he was a Nazarite, never cut his hair. Dreadlocks down to the, down to the ground. Dirt, honey, grossness. Dude was rough. Comes out declaring the Messiah is coming. The forerunner. Make way for the king. The king is coming. Boy, did he make an impression. Right? Did he make an impression. He has a huge following. Tons, thousands of disciples. John the Baptist has thousands of disciples. He's known as John the Baptist because he's baptizing people. He's talking about really weird things for the Israelites. He's talking about forgiveness of sins. Not sacrifices of animals is what they were looking to. He's talking about forgiveness of sins through a Messiah that was coming. And people are just, minds are blown. This is something so far outside of the rituals in this, this um, litur- liturgy that they lived in and this religion that they lived under from these, these, these leaders of the church that were abusing their, their station. And John was wild and crazy and speaking things so far beyond what they had heard. But what he was saying was Old Testament truth. What he was saying was biblical truth. He was saying, do you get this? This is what the Bible says. This is true and it's now. This is true and it's now. And that's what we do today. This is true and it's now. Jesus, the Messiah, the only Son of God, came and made a way for me and you. And this truth has been changing the world since the world began. And we have that truth living in us, not just the truth of His Word memorized and spoken to us, but this truth living inside of us, living in our hearts, empowering us and calling us and compelling us to share that truth just like John. So he has this huge following, right? Thousands of disciples. He's baptizing people. He's eating locusts and honey. There's all kinds. I mean, if he was here today, his Twitter would be blown up. His Facebook, he'd be Facebook famous. There would be crews from CBS, NBC, just going, look at this crazy maniac. And everybody's watching him. And Jesus shows up on the scene. And what's he do? This is who I've been telling you about. This is the entire reason I exist. He is here. Follow him. All of you thousands of people, don't follow me anymore. Go follow this guy. My job's done. I'm good. What? Who does that? Who does that? Nobody. Nobody. Unless God's working in them. And God's working through them.
John came to prepare the way for Jesus. And as soon as Jesus shows up, he disappears. Get this though. Jesus shows up to this baptize, you know, baptism uh, celebration John was doing. He walks up to John. He says, hey, it's time. You, you got to baptize me. What? I know who you are. I, <laughs> you're the Messiah. You're God. Can you baptize me? No. No. You're going to baptize me. Can you imagine? Decades in the wilderness, eating locusts and honey. You talk about lowly. And he baptized the creator of the universe. What? God uses the lowliest of us to show his powerful, life-changing mercy and grace. You may be here today and be like, I don't have anything to offer. There's nothing special about me. What, what can I do? What kind of difference can I make in this world? What kind of difference can I make, you know, in this society that's turned their back on God? Let me tell you this. There's no difference you can make. It's Him in you who makes the difference. You have the Holy Spirit God in you. He lives in you. And the testimony that all of us have is the same testimony. It's the testimony of an awesome and powerful God. Not an awesome and powerful me. We're all losers. Let's be honest. We're all losers. But God in us is a winner. And it's already won. All of it accomplished and finished. And it's Him who lives in you who's greater than anything and anyone else. And that brings us to our last point. Everything... Everything in this book, everything in our lives since Jesus has made himself known to us, every single thing points to Jesus. Amen? That is our purpose. That is who we were created to be. That is our destiny to proclaim the glory and the power of the Almighty God who loves us and loves you and calls you into relationship with him do you know him do you know him he's not just a baby in a manger he's the king of kings and lord of lords he will come again one day and in this season in this time the entire world celebrates get that the entire world celebrates the birth of the king of kings and lord of lords there will be people in China hiding in a basement somewhere celebrating the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What a glorious relationship we've been called into. If you don't know Jesus, look into it today. Give your life to Him. It is His sacrifice, His perfect life that He lived, no sin in thought or deed, and His sacrificial death on the cross for sins, our sins, that he died, rose again, conquering death and sin for us. Put your trust in him today and know that when he comes again one day, he'll take us to heaven, to that paradise, to be with him forever. And Christians, if you know Jesus in this Advent season, let's remember the reason for the season. Christ coming, Emmanuel, God with us. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today.
We thank you for this truth that is so world-changing, life-changing. It is all-encompassing, but it is personal for us. It is God with us. Come and have your way this Christmas season, Lord. We pray that you would be glorified, that you would be lifted high. And as we lift you high, God, your word says that you will draw men unto yourself. Come and do what only you can do as we lift you high. We give you all glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to have some prayer, people. If you'd like prayer this morning after this closing song, please come forward and receive prayer. But let's go ahead and stand as we sing our closing song today.